This podcast is brought to you by Fandango. Fandango offers movie tickets and gift cards to over 45,000 different screens across the United States and reaches into nearly 80% of the nation's total theaters. By partnering with virtually every leading film exhibitor like Regal, Cinemark, AMC, and more. So to pick up some movie tickets or a gift card for the movie fan in your life, head on over to cityweekly.com slash Fandango or click the support us link in the show notes for this episode. You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. But your buddy's worse off and he throws you his car keys Blue lights are blinking four o'clock in the morning State Trooper makes you wish that you'd never been born Better call Saul, better call Saul You wanna tell the world you're in love with a girl named Fran So you find an overpass and you say it with a spray paint can Blue lights start a blinking, those handcuffs click You know who to call and you better call quick Saul, Saul, you better call Saul You fight for your rights when your back's to the wall Stick it to the man, justice for all You better call Saul It's a brand new episode of Better Talk Saul Cinema Geekly's Better Call Saul podcast It is Anthony and Glenn And we're here to talk more Better Call Saul Season 5, Episode 4 Namaste and, uh, yeah, I, uh, Glenn, when I messaged you about how long this was going to take, for some reason, the, the, uh, the play bar, uh, on my, on my TV for like my, uh, the, uh, like the on demand, the AMC on demand showed this as being, being an hour and 29 minutes. And I'm like, holy shit, they, they went long. Uh, but for some weird reason, yeah, the episode played, and then when it was done, it just started playing like 20 minutes of whatever came on after. Hmm. So good editing over there at AMC. So what other show did you watch? I, You know what? I don't know. I started skipping ahead when it went to credits. Uh, like the episode ends, like Mike wakes up in like Mexico or wherever the fuck he wakes up at. Spoiler for later on in the review. Uh <laughs> And then they go to credits, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's still like 20-something minutes left. Uh, so I just started skipping ahead when I realized uh, this was not Better Call Saul. And then I just was like, okay, I just, okay, whatever. Uh, and then left it at that. So, weird. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's talk about what did happen, and uh, none of that extra 20 minutes at the end. Uh, so Jimmy meets with Howard over lunch where Howard offers Jimmy a position at HHM. Jimmy is unnerved by the offer and later uses three bowling balls that he picks up at a pawn shop to damage Howard's expensive car. Eh, to send the message, I guess. Although he doesn't really know it's from Jimmy, I guess, but he's just doing it for his own, for his own amusement, I guess. He's still holding a grudge against uh, Howard. Uh, Kim tries to convince Mesa Verde to use an alternative development plan and leave Mr. Acker's home standing, but the bank insists on evicting him. 
It's their land after all, Glenn. Uh, Kim decides to bring Jimmy in, having him convince Acker to hire him in uh, a suit against the bank. Meanwhile, Gus, through Victor and Diego, ensures that the DEA find the three dead drops uh, that Domingo had told them about. Mike is told by Stacy that she does not yet feel comfortable having him babysit Kaylee. And that night, Mike uh, is... Now, it says here Mike is beaten up by the local gang that he previously fought with. But it's more like Mike saw to it that he was beaten up by the local mm-hmm. gang that he'd previously fought with. And then, uh, as I noted, wakes up in an unknown Pueblo. How he went from there to the other place, that's a mystery and a half. But maybe we'll find out a little bit more next week. Glenn, what did you think of Namaste? So I was... Um, I thought this was a pretty weak episode. Mm-hmm. Um. And then just like what Better Call Saul always does, it just you get you get one little moment in it, and uh, man, it can just shoot up that score. Sure uh, can. <laughs> because I mean, we can just get right to it. Jimmy going to Mister Acker, Mister Acker's house, and this having him the, and handing him a picture again. We have no idea what this is. He's just like, I want you to see my proposal. And he's just really adamant about seeing it. And he just hands him his picture and he looks at it. He's like, so what really? do you think? He's like, there's a man fucking a horse. And it's like, man, that's how you use an F-bomb when, you get, when you're allowed one a season. That was, that was he, an excellent use of it. He says it in also like a kind of a befuddled way. Yeah. Like he just doesn't. I, I love the whole setup for this. So the whole, uh, the whole setup here is... And we know that Kim has been... Uh, well, and there's foreshadowing too earlier, because Kim is bunch, literally yes. picking up the pieces of her and Jimmy's mess, right? So it's yes. like, you either can see this is what the relationship has always been as a metaphor, or a more of a foreshadowing what's going to happen. Yes. Um, and because, it's a... Because she's also, you know, not to go too deep into it, of throwing beer bottles onto pavement, yeah. but it's like, she's the one who initiates it. She's the one who gives in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's just like this. She is the one pushing Jimmy. So it's, you know, one of those deals of like, she is, I, you can see where she is going to begin to see herself as being culpable for actions that he might take. Right. And I think yeah. that's, that's definitely the the path we're on. You know, it's, um, she is now the person who gave the money, the monkey, a, a machine gun. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I, yeah, I love that. And I, they use that whole scene, too, for just... They do this often to just give, like, a little microcosm of their relationship because yeah, Jimmy's like, you know, that's what we pay rent for. They'll clean it up. And Kim's like, no, this was us. We've got it. I'll clean it up. Uh, and she cleans it up. So it's like the, the two sides of the coin. Uh, but, you know, she's also wants to... She feels very guilty about this whole Mr. Acker situation and wants to do something about it. She's struggling with how she wants to present herself, uh, whether or not she really likes what Jimmy is doing or not. Well, I mean, I think it's clear that she doesn't feel comfortable with it, but on the other hand, uh, she's also seeing all of these things happen. Like it shouldn't be like this. And then she literally goes to see Jimmy in action in a court case which is actually also a pretty great scene as well. But she goes and yeah. sits down and and watches him connive his way through uh, a case, like in, in court, 
uh, which was pretty great where he makes this makes sure this uh, cashier at a convenience store keeps pointing out that his client is the guy that stole money from him and then he's like well that's not actually my client my client is sitting <laughs> in the crowd uh you know and the judge is like mr goodman uh i liked all of that but you know kim sees like firsthand he is shady but he gets it done and all she wants is for like for things to be done right by this mr acker fellow and this is like the thing where she's like I got to turn to him. And this is how Jimmy like gets Mr. Acker to like be his client. And it's just this tremendous scene where he's just like, look at my proposal. And he just stares. The best part is the waiting. He stares at it for like a good minute. <laughs> I'm sure if you're handed a thing by a guy you've never met <laughs> and it's just a picture of a just man look at fucking it. a horse. Yes. It's just like, it's a man fucking a horse. Yeah, I mean, you would definitely be deer in the headlights. Like, yeah, and he's that's like, what it felt like. He's like, now the man, that's that's me, and you know, Mesa, like that's what I'm <laughs> gonna do. Mesa birthdays the horse. Now, made even better, I think, by a tiny visual gag that, like, when Jimmy goes back out to his car, they make sure to leave it on this kind of a long shot of him out by the car, and in the background is like a coming soon Mesa Verde call center thing where the logo is like somebody riding a horse. <laughs> so like it all ties in just wonderfully. Uh, that was just tremendous. And, and she, he calls Kim. He's like, I got a new client. And she's like, Oh my God, how did you do it? And he's just like visual aid. It's amazing what you can find on the internet. He says, uh, I thought that was just all great. Um, you know, and the bowling balls into Howard's car. Yes. Well, I mean, I was wondering at first, like he the the first the first bit of this episode is him going into this pawn shop or you know antique store or whatever, and he's just picking up items and testing them for like heft to see like you know would this be a good throwable? And all I could think of was like, did he just fall in love with throwing shit off of his balcony and just wants to find more shit to throw off of his balcony? Uh, but it it did it did come together. Uh, later, as did the episode title, which was uh, a vanity license plate on uh, Howard's car that was spelled Namastat number three, uh, which seems like a pretty douchey license plate to have. But yeah, especially when you're already driving a Beamer or whatever he was, a Mercedes. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think of the the dead the dead drop stuff with uh? Uh, Hank and uh, all of that. What did you think of all of that stuff? This this felt more like the Hank I remembered. Mm -hmm. Like uh, felt like you know the writers and and the actor that plays Hank. They all kind of and Steve you know Gomez for you know also in the same thing. Like this one felt more of like okay, this is how their relationship was. This is uh, no th this is where it's feeling more like Hank from Breaking Bad. The first one, you know, I, it's a little bit different circumstances, but now we're actually just spending time with them. Like, mm -hmm. you know, everyone kind of got back in the saddle. Obsessing over the origins. The horse of, metaphors. Yes. Obsessing over the origins of the word culvert. <laughs> yeah. They spent a lot of time on that. Like, it sounds French. That doesn't sound French. Uh <laughs> They really spent a lot of time on it's culvert. Spanish. When in Mexico, they talk about the majestic I... culverts of Mexico. <laughs> you know, I I really loved. This is just shit you see in Vince Gilligan produced things. They 
do this really tense, like, um, you know, chase down, like uh, they, they chase down this guy who's at a, took one of the debt, the money from the dead drop or whatever. And, uh, they're combining it with Lyle from, uh, the chicken brothers. Of course, he's cleaning the fryers. Like, uh, Gus is like, this is unacceptable. And he's still clean. And like, it's just, um, like cutting back and forth between the tension of the, you know, are they going to get him? Uh, what's going to happen with him? Like just scrubbing down. When's Lyle going to get to go home? (laughs) Yeah. They somehow made that seem very tense. Like Lyle scrubbing, like they would do these very close, uh, shots and he's scrubbing so hard and so fast. Well, because like every time Lyle is done, like Gus is like, you may go home. And he starts like, un like unbuttoning his sleeves to indicate that you can go, but this sucks. Like I'm going to clean it. So he, this is like his third attempt to clean these goddamn fryers. Uh, and they're focusing just so heavily on it. It's just one of those weird quirks of like yeah. the breaking bad universe or the better call Saul uh, universe. Like you wouldn't see this like in any other show. I don't think. But they well, find the ways to marry. It's like it's not just doing it because it's goofy, but it's like the tension of Gus Gus's plans working right, and so like yes. right now he's in Gus the drug lord mode. Yes, and these are just those weird times. You know, I'm sure it, it'd be cool to like maybe we'll get a spinoff where we get to spend time with the fast food workers and uh and those those pollos. Yeah. Uh, and we just get to see how they, man, you know, I really like us. He's this great boss. But then like every sixth episode, it's like his actual business creeps in and, yes. like, you know, cause his personality is completely different. You know, it's like, yeah, he could, he's a good, great boss, you know, cause even like remember breaking bad, like he'd let them take the day off and he mm-hmm. would pay for this and that. It's like, he always seems like a good boss and people like working for him. Yes. Uh, but I could see where there's those, where it's like, oh, he's a great boss, but he is, you know, he's firm, he's strict, yep. you know, he's definitely peculiar. Oh, and, yeah. you know, maybe for Lyle, you know, this is just seeing how much he can trust him. And I, I'd be, it'd be cool if we find out that Lyle actually knows more about the business and he's just been playing stupid all this time under, yes. you know, Gus's direction. Because um, always just seemed odd to me, like, well, I feel like you would have to have someone who actually works in the restaurant in on this, you know, like, it yeah. can't be. Um, and I know he definitely keeps it separate. You know, his associates don't ever really go in to his place of business, but who knows? Um, I, I'm desperately yeah. now waiting for the scene where Lyle comes in to Gus Fring's office and sits down and slams his hand on the desk and just looks at Gus and says, I want to cut. <laughs> I just want Lyle to do that. Or if they do like Nacho, we get to see Lyle's house. <laughs> he's living in a mansion too. <laughs> yes, like oh, Lyle does know. Like he's very loyal, and Gus loves loyalty. Um, the stuff with Mike was uh, to be expected. I yeah, think yeah. like he's still dealing with things and wants to be punished, but uh, you know, finds it finally decide. Like especially after Stacy was like, you can't babysit your granddaughter like she she's like no no no, don't worry about the kid like she she's moved on and that's very true kids move on very quickly from from things like that and 
she's like, no, no, no. I, I sense that something is off with you and you, I want you to take some time for yourself to get things straight or whatever. And, um, Mike knows that she's right. And I guess he feels like he needs to take this punishment. And at first it's actually pretty great. Cause he's just kicking their asses. Even when they're beating him, even when they're beating him down at first, like he still gets like a nut shot in on like one of the guys or whatever. Uh, but I loved the, uh, I love the quick cut to commercial where you get like the flip of the knife and then like the stab and like the deep breath. And then it just cuts to commercial. I thought that was all great. Uh, They didn't really give you enough time to linger on it. There was just like a moment of shock and then they cut you off very quickly. Uh, And then Mike wakes up in a Pueblo somewhere. How do you wager this happened? Uh, I think Gus was monitoring Mike this whole time. It'd have to be, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the whole thing, too, is, you know, if we're getting to Breaking Bad Mike, well, for Mike, it was, he was pretty accepting of things, of his circumstances and what he's been doing. Um, Not that he condone it, but it's just like, this is my role, this is what I'm, like, he's definitely made a singular focus of I am doing this for my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is nice to see that he had hiccups and, and, uh, what he thought he was doing right, but doing good by his family. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's, uh, a different kind of guilt, whereas it definitely seems like this first half is more the guilt of his son. And that's why he was doing it for her. Whereas now it's more of just like, I, I probably don't have much time left. Um, given my age and the line of work, I need to just take advantage of, mm-hmm. of that money and time for my family. Yes. Uh, and it's really interesting to sort of see them build the, not really the character, like Mike in this show and Mike in Breaking Bad are still pretty similar. But what they're, I, I feel like what they're building here is the, um, like the, uh, the impetus, the, the reason why Mike is working with, Gus and doing what he's doing and breaking yeah. bad. Like they're setting um, all of his motivations in place. So that's also. Uh, really yeah. Cause we've always kind of seen what his morals were. He's always been, which, you know, again, when we talk about like why him and Gus in a way can get along or understand one another is they definitely have a code. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they both stick by that and it's just business. They try not, they try not to take things personal. And that's, you know, where this chasm is, is come into play. Um, so yep. yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on episode four and what would you give it? No, I just, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, again, like the glass thing is kind of, it's laying on a little thick, uh, but you know, it's, it is stuff like that that does make the show great. You know, it's, it is those little moments, you know, and then you do have the flamboyant stuff of a man fucking a horse and then the courtroom scene. But my other thing is I don't like to do death of the author stuff, but here we are. Um, It is interesting to where you're seeing Jimmy do all this stuff within the realms of the law. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's always been, he is. I mean, he's not necessarily lying when he says he fights for the little guy. Yeah. Now, is his motivations altruistic? No, but, uh, you know, nobody's is. Uh, sure. Because none of us are perfect in that way. Right. 
there's always going to be some kind of selfishness to it. But it's like, mm-hmm. but he he does enjoy sticking his uh, finger and you know into and poking the eye of what he would see as the monolith, the big you know thing. And you know, even whenever we first met him in Breaking Bad, it's you know he yeah he sticks up for the little guy. But it's like oh the U.S. government, this huge system mm-hmm. with you know unlimited resources. And I'm that one guy who's going to help you fight all those unlimited resources. And I have the same unlimited resources that they do, just in a different way. Um, because the amount of money and the amount of people that they can have on their side, like, to him, it's it's a rigged game, right? Um, so, like, as this show goes on, it's, you know, he is constantly defending the poor um, you know, people who usually don't have low means. Now he is definitely taking advantage of them, but it's also not like they're the best people yep. uh, either. You know, they're definitely going to try and scam grandma into paying for bail another time kind of deal um, with those two knuckleheads that he had to talk to about his rate. And that was another good scene too. It's just like, you know, 4,000. Yeah, that is 50%. I just made eight grand in an afternoon. <laughs> like that's how much I'm worth. Yeah. Uh, so it is just, it is interesting because yes, he is this the you know the scumbag lawyer with the urinal cakes and the benches and the colorful suits and stuff. But it is he is actually providing a service for people who do need actual representation and aren't just going to get uh, you know some drop out or just not a very good lawyer. Uh, that's why I wish uh, I don't know if Ben is keeping up with the show, but man, I wish Ben could jump on here sometime to kind of talk about those aspects of it yeah. um, and see, you know what he more or less could relate to uh, uh, granted. I would think that Ben is a little bit more upstanding <laughs> in the way that he does his practice. I would gym. hope so. But, yes. Uh, but no, it is, it's, it's like a, a, like a fighting fire with fire thing. And, and it's, you know, we talked about it through the, this show and kind of, that's why the finale was in a way more shocking than anything else, which is, we've always kind of been rooting for Jimmy, right? You know, whereas in Breaking Bad, there there definitely became a point pretty early on that you're just not really rooting for Walt. It's just more of, you just want Walt to get the money so that his family is taken care of, right? I mean, it's really where it kind of came into play. Whereas like this, like really up until that season finale, it's like you you are rooting for Jimmy. You want Jimmy to come ahead because F these people that are in this place of power and, you know, let's just stick it to them. And, you know, this season's kind of been skirting that line of like, are you rooting for him? Or are you not rooting for him? But now it's like, well, if he is going to go to bat for this guy against this big bank, and yes, in the eyes of the law, what they're doing is correct, but it's not morally correct. Yep. So it's like, well, someone like him, you can't use because there, she won't compromise herself at all. Whereas Jimmy's okay with compromising, and maybe sometimes that's what you need. I don't know. I just. Yeah. I found that this season's been more interesting of like, if you're asking your own questions, like not so much, what are you willing to sacrifice or anything like that? But like, where can compromises be had? Because ultimately the, the quote unquote greater good for you know utilitarianism, it's going to come into play. And I just, I found this season interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely willing to walk his own line. Like, you know, and we see like in the scene with the, where he meets with the, uh, the half off drug spree, people that we met from yeah yeah uh a couple episodes back like you know he's willing to help them get reduced sentence but they're like you know we maybe we'll just get a a free public defender 
uh, instead. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to get like locked away forever. They're going to make an example out of you unless you, unless you go through me. He's like, but you can't use the money you stole. Like, you know, that you can't, that would be illegal as well. And they're like, well, my grandma has a house and a car and stuff. And he's like, good, use your grandma, get her to send me the money. And like, he doesn't have a problem, like absolutely debilitating this old woman, like getting her money from her because he knows that he wants to get paid and he knows that she will probably help her grandson, uh, but it'll kill her financially. And he doesn't give a shit about that. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely like a lot of gray, like you, you do find yourself like rooting for him in some ways because you know, he's better than what he does, but also a lot of what he does is also unfortunately just really entertaining it's just fun to watch, so it's hard to also root against him in this regard. Like, you know he's being scummy at times or shady, but he does it with such flair, Glenn. I, I think that's Well, and it's also like there are positive and, and negative sure. with his personality traits. I mean, it's just like, again, you, you, for every grandma that he's going to basically yeah. steal money from to get their dirtbag grandkid out of jail... Um, is going to be someone he is going to be used to help fight a big bank from taking this guy's house, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, uh, and that's, you know, to me, that's what the show's. I mean, always in breaking bad, what it's been is it's not so much like ends justify the means, but it's just that no, there are, there are good and bad qualities within any type. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, the same thing that can make you great is also something that can be like your biggest weakness. You know, it's it, that's that's where yes. I think the show does the best. And, you know, like we were just talking about with Mike, I mean, those that's what makes him an interesting character is is his moral code. I mean, that is, you know, how strict he is. And mm-hmm. when he gets off that line or what he doesn't view where he can logically explain this is why he did it. You know, that's where he can come off balance. Yeah. Um, so. So what would you give Namaste? Um, I give it like a like a four and a quarter. Yeah, I think that's about where I was coming down on it too. I I, I wasn't really sure if I'd say four or four and a quarter, but uh, that's usually because I forget that sometimes I'm like, sure, why not? We'll do quarter quarter points. Uh, I'll give it four and a quarter as well. A, a really solid episode uh, as well. It started off a little slow, but man, really picked up with that horse, fucking Glenn. Uh, <laughs> That's that's a that's a weird soundbite. Hopefully nobody takes that out of context. Uh, it was it was just a, a photo that no one got to see except for Mister Acker. Uh, I, that's a great scene though. Holy cow, that was really funny. Uh, yeah, I mean that and the courtroom scene of both of them. Just a lot, like... of, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, okay, so uh, that's the episode for this week. Head on over to cinemageekly.com to check out the archives of the show. And, of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for Better Talk Saul. Uh, hit subscribe, and that way you can come back and hear us next time. Talking about more Better Call Saul Season 5, Episode 5, called Dedicato A Max. <laughs> <laughs>